Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Purple Theory Podcast. My name is Grant McGalliard, and I have a question for my co-host, Parker Fleming. Parker, would you say something nice about Max Duggan? I have so many nice things to say about Max Duggan. Oh my gosh. Uh, what a great week, man. I, we're back. TCU football is playing football. Iowa State this weekend. This is our Iowa State preview, and we're going to get to breaking down the Cyclones. But first and foremost, two big pieces of news came out of Fort Worth this weekend. Number one being Max Duggan is healthy and will be suited up for the Iowa State game on the sidelines. Had his heart procedure in August and by all accounts is healthy and ready to go. We are extremely thankful for that, both him as a person and as a football player. Uh, Parker, he is not listed as the starter. Would you like to opine on that? Yes, this is... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> because uh, so, I would too, and I'm curious to you. Yeah, gosh, um, Gary, <laughs> Gary just refollowed me, so I'm trying to be diplomatic here. But um, yeah, yeah, I think I think so. Legitimately, I'm gonna I'm gonna separate this from like the memes to the kind of um, reality. And so, like reality, uh, one, I think Gary believes there's a high level of gamesmanship in the signal that you provide to your opponent from the depth chart. I think that given some context and reading between the lines, I'm not breaking news, it's just speculation. Max has been known to play for the Iowa State game for a little bit. Like this wasn't, oh, Monday, wow, he can play now. Like this has been in the works for a little bit. Um, And so I think the or there is kind of a combination of some strategery on behalf of Gary Patterson, Mm -hmm. which is we've we've come to know and love. And I think tonight on this podcast, we will probably examine in uh, almost overwhelming detail. But um, yeah, with the depth charts, and then secondly, uh, there is some there. There is a portion of this where like it's it's hard to just pick up and play college football if you've been out. So I don't know the extent to which could right. Max Duggan, when he had his diagnosis, could he ride the bike for an hour and a half every day and keep up his cardio? Could he lift weights? Could mm-hmm. he throw the ball in the backyard with his dad? I I don't know. I don't think anyone knows that uh, aside from people on the team. And so it could be that he needs a little bit of time to work in. Um, it very well could be that we see Matt Downing as the starter. I have seen mm-hmm. some tweets uh, about Matt Downing, and I just want to say that, like, I hope that he is serviceable. I don't think we need to make a legend out of Matt Downing before he takes a snap. Um, I, I will just say it, it seems like it's possible that Matt Downing will take a snap out of principle for Gary Patterson and two out of just Max might need a little bit of time uh, and, and it might be kind of a break glass in case of emergency. I think uh, last year, TCU mm-hmm. went down 14 to 3, 21 to 3 after four drives uh, against Iowa State. And so kind of dug a hole yep. and then went on a, a nice rampage to come back, but ultimately kind of fell short. And so hopefully you can avoid a similar situation. But I could see, you know, a couple drives of downing and right. the offense being like, okay, all right, we should, we should probably throw him in here. Yeah. What did you think about the or? I wish well, they had just ored Stephen Brown, too. I, I wish they would have ordered Stephen Brown. And, and we'll get to the other piece of news, which is the, the TCU death chart that came out, uh, which I, I guess this morning. Uh, and, yeah, so on there, Matthew Downing and, it, and Duggan are listed as ors. So Matthew Downing or, Matthew, or, or uh, Max Duggan. I, I am actually leaning towards uh, Downing playing more than I was earlier this week. Not necessarily that I think that that is a – that he's a better option than Duggan. Obviously I, I don't, I'm not trying to impugn Matthew Downing. And like you said, I've also seen tweets that um, basically imply that if he wasn't six feet tall uh, and was taller, he would be um, 
a really exciting prospect. We will see. I think he probably plays not just the first couple snaps, not just sort of, you know, perfunctory snaps. I think he takes meaningful I, – I think they kind of turn the keys over to him, at least for the first half. But if it's not working, we may see Duggan. But I, I, my bet right now is that Downing plays at least a quarter, maybe two. I'm not saying I'm happy about it, but I, I also think Gary, as much as he believes in the gamesmanship that you talked about, also might just be kind of trying to make a point. And again, like you said – Duggan's healthy, but we don't know if he's 100% yet. For sure. Uh, my over-under, the question that I'm kind of like interested in is like, Stefan Brown snaps outside of the red zone. Over-under is 0.5. For this week? This week. Zero. No, under. Under? You're, you're saying he, he won't take a snap under. outside the red zone. Okay. I think that's true. I'm yeah, just interested. Exactly. They said they had a package for him. I imagine that is the Shaywo cat that will now be the Stefan cat. Yeah. We're going to have to come up with – I'll talk to marketing. We gotta get a better. Uh, we gotta get a better name for that. But it's not gonna be the. It's not the Evans cat. I I don't think I saw somebody on Twitter say that Marcel Brooks ran the Wildcat in high school. Hey man, I'm in. I'm in. <laughs> At this um, point, I'm willing to try anything. <laughs> <laughs> me too. Um, okay, we we've talked about quarterback ad nauseum over the summer, and now that we have quarterback news, it's really exciting, and obviously we want. Um, Doug going to play as many snaps as possible. Let's let, let's go down the depth chart. I can tell you one thing. Can if, I, sorry, before, is, before we do that, can I just jump ahead. in and just, and just reaffirm? We heard the phrase medically retire thrown around. There was a lot of uncertainty and a lot of worry. And so like, shout out to the doctors, shout out to TCU's yes. team and staff who saw this, found this, was out ahead of this, was able to take care of it and that he's back. So like, that's, that's just great. And that's a huge relief one, because like, Hey, I'm a football analyst, but I'm also a football fan. And then two, like as a, as a person, you don't want anyone to have a condition, but you don't want someone with a young, promising, bright future to have it kind of taken away from them in such no. a, uh, a startling fashion. So, so shout out to the doctor, shout out to Max Duggan's family who's handled this really well. Uh, that's, that's just great. Yeah. All around. For sure. And, and I, I guess I'll tag on to that too, is that I haven't really, uh, it seems like Duggan's handled this really well himself. I mean, he yeah. put out one tweet about it, said, Hey, I'm on the road to recovery. And, you know, from what I've heard, from what we've read, it doesn't sound like he's made any um, any stink about it. It's not like he's okay. You know, you had, you had to start me now. I'm back. I'm healthy. I, you know, from what we know, um, you're right. Yeah, they've handled everything great. Uh, and it, it could be worse. We saw that with the San Diego Chargers. Uh, team doctors can sometimes be bad, but as it turns out, DC's uh, team doctors are good, and the doctors at Duggan went to. So yes, shout out Max Duggan and everyone involved. Um, okay. I can tell you this, Parker, looking at the TCU death chart, uh, if Zach Evans is going to be used, boy, it looks like it's going to be the Evans cat because he is fifth on the running back list. Um, before we delve into it, I'm just going to list the starters that we have. Okay. Uh, looking at your offensive line, starting at left tackle, Austin Myers, the senior, TJ Stormont, uh, as a side note, the transfer from Colorado State uh, is second there. Left guard, Wes Harris, junior, senior, uh, or excuse me, at center, Esteban Avila. Sophomore listed over Corey McMillan uh, and Kelton Hollins, which I did not see coming, but that's on there, and we'll get to that. Uh, Quazel uh, White listed at starting right guard, again, above Corey McMillan, uh, and Andrew Coker listed at starting right tackle. Um, your starting running back is Amari DiMarcato. Uh, Darwin Barlow is the backup there. At wide receiver, you have Dylan Thomas, Tay Barber, Pro Wells, and Blair Conright, and Artavius Lynn is your tight end. A lot of things to delve into there, Parker. Is there anything that jumps out at you uh, on the offense? 
Yeah, so I think starting with the running backs, um, obviously favoring experience, uh, which is a, yes. a Pattersonian virtue if there ever was one, is I, I trust the older guy, uh, circumstances notwithstanding. And so uh, to see De Mercado, who was hurt last year um, for much of the year, he had, you know he's, he's pretty productive in 2018, returning kicks, getting involved in the run game, taking brunt of the shares once TCU was up or out of the game. And so he has a lot of experience in this offense. Um, I was surprised to see him listed as number one. Um, although mm-hmm. I, will, I will note that uh, – no, 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 I thought it was an or with Darwin Barlow, but looking at this, no, it is – DeMarcado is the number one yeah. back, and Darwin Barlow is number two. That begets an interesting question because do you think that TCU is going to get super run uh, or super substitution heavy, or we're going to see some, like, 21 personnel where there's two running backs? Looking at that running back depth chart, I think it's going to be <clears> – <throat> Probably two back sets. I mean, because you have you have Amari, and then you have Darwin Barlow listed as the backup, and then you also have Kendrick Miller or uh, Demarquay Foster uh, as the or or Zach Evans um, listed as you know tied for third string. I, I would imagine they use Foster a lot, and, and I would I had him equal to Barlow going into the year. So the fact that he's listed as the fourth guy, technically tied for third, makes me think that I mean he's still going to get some run, right? And so I, I would imagine they're going to be putting multiple backs out there at once. I think so. And, and, and Grant, hold me to this. This is the last time I'm going to say this on this podcast ever. This is why I wanted Brennan Marion to be on this staff. He has a great offense with like multiple running backs, a bunch of weird looks. And TCU just has, I mean, I, I don't know a ton about Kendry Miller. I had to look him up when I saw the depth chart. Uh, but, you, you know, for, for elite Four really, really good guys. Um, and then Kendry Miller, who potentially has some upside, you know, three-star recruit out of Mount Enterprise, Texas. Um, and so I could see them getting funky there. Remember last year, there were a couple times that I think were underutilized when you would kind of have Duggan in the shotgun uh, and uh, Anderson kind of to his back hip and Shewo to his mm-hmm. front right hip. And so kind of this almost line. Um, and a little bit that's like Shewo playing fullback without calling a fullback. But I I think there's a possibility to be interesting there. Certainly, um, I think it's more interesting to have two running backs in the backfield than it is to have a running back and then kind of that like sniffer, flanker, uh, blocking tight end sort yep. of guy. And so uh, that, that's interesting to me that one, De Mercado is first, and then two, that there are two mm-hmm. running backs listed. Yeah. No, I, I completely agree. And kind of on that note, while we're there and you touched on it, no fullback listed on the depth chart. Um, well, even, so, even more so, I went back and looked at 2019, and in 2019, the tight end position was tight end slash fullback, and they have yeah. removed the fullback from that. Um, I, I wanted to talk about the offensive line first, but I think let's, let's dive in here because the tight end is lined up at the Y, at the y receiver here. So Pro Wells is TCU's tight end, yeah. and last year he played a ton of split out just because of injuries and, and lack of depth. And now he's listed as the wide receiver, which is kind of this traditional air raid. Like you need this bigger inside slot kind of guy. Yep. And so I have a lot of feelings about this. I don't know. It, it seemed weird that well, Wells is listed as the third tight end, but also the wide receiver. So what do you, what do you, what's your take right. on that? No, no, I, I agree. I mean, obviously we'll see him split out. He is, I mean, he caught five touchdown passes, which was tied for most on the team last year. A depressing staff, but still a good one for Pro Wells. Um, and, and he kind of ran over the middle. I mean, he was running those deep post routes, stuff like that. I, I, 
I'm fine with utilizing him in that position. It makes me wonder how much we're going to use Artavius Land, who's listed as the tight end, because if Pro Wells is going to be out there, I, you know, he, I, in my opinion, I think he's a little bit better athlete than Artavius, even if he is bigger. Or, well, okay, they're about the same size, six four two fifty versus six six two fifty eight. But I, I, I don't see Lynn factoring it as much, just because I think he and Wells kind of were utilized in very similar ways last year. So I'm curious to see how they interact together. Just yeah, like Parker, I don't, you I don't had, think TCU – sorry, sorry. go ahead. No, but I was going to say, you, you had a big theory about how the wide receiver is going to look this year. Yes. So, so one, I don't think TCU used um, – gosh, I get him confused. Is it 12 or 20? 21 is two running backs. 12 is one running back and two tight ends. Uh, and so, so 12 personnel – I think I'm right Correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yep. so 12 personnel – I don't think TCU used really 12 personnel a lot. I think what they did is they had – they kind of based out of 11 – no. Uh, but they had, well, I guess mm-hmm. they didn't base out of 11. They based out of 21 and they had kind of that fullback as a flanker there who was never really an option to get the ball. It yep. was just like a strategic blocker. And so moving away from that fullback position, moving into the tight end position and taking your best tight end and saying he's playing slot. That's really interesting to me because that indicates a fundamental shift in TCU's base offense um, I yep. think Pro Wells as a big body is extremely useful over the middle of the field, uh, an area that was criminally underutilized in 2019 yep. and 2018 by TCU's offense, um, especially given the skill set of our, uh, the passers who are more um, leg heavy and window heavy in throwing and less precision passers. And so um, for a non-Kenny Hill passer in TCU's offense, the middle of the field, it really needs to be used more so that is encouraging that wells is kind of over the middle my theory about the wide receivers is actually that they're upside down can i elaborate on that okay so uh, yes that's fine if if so the x receiver from what i've been told i consulted an anonymous football source someone who works for a college football team and knows the air raid uh today and was talking about this so the x receiver is kind of like your your, your taller, faster kind of downfield threat, right? TCU currently has right. Dylan Thomas listed in that. Dylan is 6'1 and 206. It's not that he's not a good receiver. It's not that he's not fast. It's not that he's not a downfield threat. He's just a little on the shorter side of what you would expect. Then you go to that H back, Tay Barber, Darius Davis, J.D. Spielman are all kind of interchangeable. It is uh, confusing to me that J.D. Spielman is third on that list. Given what he did at Nebraska, given the hype around him, given his skill set, um, I actually think there's an entire package where Spielman and Barber are on the same field with a ton of motion that is immensely frustrating at defenses. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying either of them is exactly the quality of Rondale Moore at Purdue, for instance, but imagine if you had two Rondale Moore types and you could do whatever you wanted with them. I think you'd want to. So, so definitely some interesting stuff with, with the H back there. But so the, the, about the X back uh, or the X wide receiver, excuse me, Dylan Thomas is listed as first. Tavalence Hunt is listed third behind freshman Quentin Johnson. Yep. Hunt was like a, an integral part of the offense last year, and he had some issues catching the ball. That's fair. I'm shocked that he is not going to be starting as the X receiver there. Um, and so, 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 so when you say upside down, you don't mean that they are listed, you know, instead of X, flip X to Z, you mean that to Valence Hunt listed third will wind up being the number one. I think so. I think this is like scout team something. I can't, I can't exactly put my finger on it, but so you have 
everyone thought Hunt would be the first receiver and Dylan, Dylan Thomas is the yep. first receiver and Hunt's third. And then you look at the why. The why doesn't make sense at all because John Stevens Jr. is like kind of close to Pro Wells. But, but those seem right. to be like John Stevens Jr. seems like your X kind of or your, or your Z, like a possession receiver. But then you go to the possession receiver and at the Z, Blair Conright, 5'11", 180 is your starting Z receiver where you have Savion Williams – Six five two twelve. That that Z is supposed to be kind of your like possession receiver. Your right. this guy's going to catch the ball. He's going to he's going to be reliable. And so I'm just confused about like the body fit one across who they've chosen to start at each of these positions. But then also kind of within like the the consistency within the receiver position. So the Z depth chart is Conright, who's 5'11", 180, Mikhail Barkley, who's 5'11", 170, and then Savion Williams, who's 6'5", 212. And so yeah. I, just, I just don't know if we should make too much out of this just because there's so much odd heterogeneity within the positions as they're listed. I, I completely agree. And I wrote about this in the offseason uh, when it came to using all of the different styles of receiver that TCU has in creative packages. The starters on here don't fit that at all. I mean, as you said, Dylan Thomas, 6'1", Kay Barber, 5'9", Pro Wells, 6'4", and then Blair Conrad, 5'11". So you, the only big guy you have there is Pro Wells at 6'4", and he's a tight end wide receiver hybrid. I mean, I, I know he's listed at the Y, but they played tight end a lot of last year. They did split him out. And so I, I just don't – I think you're right. I don't think we should put a whole lot of stock into this, but I wonder what – the meaning behind it is that Gary chose to list these players there. I understand. And, and we joke all the time and, and have been throughout the day about how bizarre some of the rankings are on the Steph chart, but it's just, it doesn't seem like he's, I just can't imagine him outright BSing a depth chart. And I don't think he would. I mean, you know, he, he likes to have gamesmanship, but he's not going to completely lie on a depth chart. I, yeah. What bothers me is, is Mikel Barkley kind of stuck in that middle ground at Z Blair Conrad, actually, I, I thought he had decent hands last year, but I really wanted to see Mikel Barkley start and be utilized more in the offense. And the fact that he's just like, okay, put him in the number two Z behind Blair and ahead of a freshman is troubling to me. So, yeah, that's, and, that's, and that's interesting to me because if you go by this depth chart and you start thinking about, like, how does TCU get into five wide? They pull off Barlow or Dave right. Mercado, and then who do they bring in? Well, like, they have to bring in Johnson. Because they have a guy who's six one five nine six four yeah. five eleven, like yeah. you have to have another body, um, and so yeah, I, I, I it, it's a good problem to have that TCU's offense has has the diversity of weapons, but it does seem like an odd configuration to start here. Uh, I will say with Pro Wells yeah. at the Y, you do get some versatility because you can go. Uh, you know, you could put him hand in the ground, tight end, or split out, or in the backfield. Sure. Um, so there's a lot of potential there. I don't know. Let me let me let me kind of flip this on his head and ask you: Do you anticipate seeing two running backs in the backfield starting out uh, the first play for TCU? Uh, for this game, yes, because I think it's going to be a run, and I think it's going to be downing back there. So yes, but but I don't think that'll be the package that TCU uses the most yeah so do you think this you know is I mean? a you think this hair. is a specific this game you think that the depth chart will dramatically change next week against Texas yes I, I yes I think the depth chart will dramatically change yeah interesting yes, I do 
Um, uh, and maybe this is a this is just out of camp. This is to perform the best at camp, and then once the game starts, oh right, Quentin Johnson is six four, or oh right, you know, JD Spielman is the fastest man alive, or whatever. Yeah. Um, and I, so you we'll could talk about like matchups. They're they're prioritizing speed or something, and then you know, sure. Pro Wells might be able to be a little bit better in, against the three three five. I I don't know enough about the X's and O's to like get deep into that. It does just seem like an odd configuration. I completely agree. Um, we are. Uh, let's hit offensive line real quick. The only surprise I really see is Avila over McMillan at center. Um, I, I don't know a lot about Esteban Avila. Uh, if he performed well in camp, that's great. Six four three fourteen. McMillan was a big part of the offense last year. He was probably he was one of the only guys that was in, that was a consistent starter, and he was a fixture in TC press conferences. The coaches liked him a lot. I think Patterson said if he could have eleven core McMillans, he'd take him. Uh, so him being second at both center and right guard is really weird to me. Can I tell you uh, a couple things? One, uh, an offensive 11 Coy McMillions would be very bad at offense. Um, (laughs) (laughs) That's true, but you know. Two, I think this might get dicey. I, I like these student athletes. I admire their physical talent. I admire their ability. I admire their work ethic. This might be a Kelton Holland situation where he's a great guy who just doesn't have the, doesn't have the talent. Yeah, and, and that's fine. I'm just saying I'm surprised that they would have – I'm surprised it's Avila that beat him out. And again, yeah, I mean, I, so, I so effectively TC was starting – effectively TC is starting five new guys on the line. And that's a little unfair because, yeah. like, Harris has started when he's healthy. Quazel White started a bunch in 2018. Yeah, yeah. Um, but more or less, this is an, an entirely new offensive line. And yeah. so I, I do think that's interesting. I will note that they went big. This is uh, one of the yes. bigger offensive lines CC's had. So Wes Harris, 320, uh, Avila, 314, Quasal White, 317, Andrew Coker, 326. Actually, weirdly, the smallest member of the offensive line is the left tackle. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm hoping that means he's the most athletic. I'm hoping that means that Myers over Coker at left tackle means that Myers is able to handle elite pass rushers a little bit better. He's got well. better hands. And they're focusing yeah, it, more on the pass block and not on the run block. That would be my hope. I, I would agree. I am not concerned but surprised that Myers is over TJ Stormont at left tackle, the transfer, because I heard a lot of really good things about him. I know both of us did. And he's – you want to talk about big. He's 6'7", 325. He's just one pound lighter than Andrew Coker. Um, I, I am curious to see how much they rotate in Stormont. And maybe because this is five new guys – Myers at least has program experience. So maybe that's a, that's a benefit that, that he had during practice. I don't know. Definitely. Um, okay. And I feel the really defense. good about depth. Oh, sorry. Well, I, just, I feel really good about depth no, there. Say, go ahead. No, no. Brandon, Brandon yeah. Coleman can play either tackle. Coy McMillan can plug in. Kelton Hollins can plug yep. in at guard center. Like yep. depth has been an issue for TC's offensive line. And I do feel like they have eight starters um, in a pinch. And so that, that feels very good. I hope I don't regret saying that preseason. <laughs> I hope we don't have to see eight different starters. I yeah. completely agree. <laughs> Um, we've been so excited to talk about the offense because the defense is pretty much exactly what we thought it was going to be. Uh, O'Shawn Mathis, Corey Bethley, Terrell Cooper, Parker Workman, Dee Winters, Garrett Wallow, and boy, I mean, starting with Wallow, Garrett Wallow, LeKendrick Van Zant, Trevon Merrick, Ardarius Washington, Noah Daniels, and Travius Hodges Tomlinson. That is a hell of a back six, Parker, or back seven. Yeah, that is um, ferocious. <laughs> like, yeah, I, this this could easily 
with just a pinch of defensive line play, this could be right. one of the best TCU defense. This, this is not an overstatement. This is, could be one of the best TCU defenses that Gary Patterson has ever had. In terms of pound-for-pound talent, in terms of synergy, uh, and in terms of on-field performance, like this, this defense looks amazing. So I don't think the drop-off between Ross Blacklock and Corey Bethley is that big. That's not a knock on Ross Blacklock. That's to say that Bethley is good, and that defensive line position – um, it, it isn't as complex to replicate or um, mm-hmm. replace. So, like, I think interior line, uh, you know, if, if Brandon Bowen's healthy, that's awesome. Jaquez Sorrells looks like a really, really good uh, yeah. depth there. So, I think D tackle is super, super deep, which is great. Um, it all really comes down to me to to kind of two things. One, O'Shawn Mathis. Uh, Yep. Got put in a position last year where he had to be the feature defensive end. It has to get better. Um, he got a little better as the year went on, but but he realistically needs to play a lot better. He is a little bit bigger mm-hmm. this year, and so I think that that'll benefit mm-hmm. him some. Um, what do you think about the the other end though? I think it's odd that Parker Workman is stored it, starting and Colt Ellison is not. I I can't believe that you think it's odd Parker Workman is starting. Oh, no, like halfway through the year last year, I gave up and was like, actually, Parker Uh, Workman's bad. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Well, that means I actually talked about this. Yeah, okay. I talked about this with uh, our friend Shayhan a little bit uh, earlier today. Um, He was high on Ellison, too. I do think he showed flashes. Um, I I, I still don't know if he's quite ready yet. So I I don't have a problem with it. He is listed – um, as an or with Kari Coleman, uh, who's a freshman behind O'Shawn Mathis at left end. Um, I, it, it doesn't surprise me. I do want to hear your take um, on Marcel Brooks, who is listed at that right end as an or in the second stream with Dylan Horton. Uh, Brooks, the Oklahoma transfer, or excuse me, LSU transfer, who's also listed uh, as a potential middle linebacker. Um, I mean, what do you think, Parker? Because I, I, I do want to some... see Brooks in action. I do. I want to see Brooks on play number one. I think that is two things. One, again, uh, Patterson's affinity for experience. Yeah. Uh, him knowing that his defense is complex. Yep. I think it's really hard to put a starting position on a positionless player. And okay. I think that Marcel Brooks is positionless because Marcel Brooks is only 205 pounds. He cannot play run yep. defense as a defensive end. Mm-hmm. He can be an edge rusher mm-hmm. or a linebacker. He's not going to push out mm-hmm. D winners. He's not going to push out Garrett Waldo. They're different kinds of players. His skill set is a three down skill set. And so having him there, I think is more of this. Uh, it, it's more of a symptom of TCU and Gary Patterson are staunchly committed to the four, two, five. I think Brooks will be yep. on the field. I think Brooks, we will see this season Brooks playing edge him playing linebacker him potentially even mm-hmm. playing a, a kind of like super safety um a la Ennis gains where you kind of run up to the line you can drop back uh so so i think he's super versatile and it's versatility in a defense that is as assignment based and rigid as gary patterson's is a little bit difficult i am I am surprised. I mean, that, that, that right end looks really, really thin, though, man. It does. It does. And I, and I see what you're saying. If there was a spot on the depth chart listed pass rusher or pass defender, Marcel Brooks would be there, whether that's rushing or dropping back. But, yeah, right end is going to be the weak point for this defense. And as long as 
Brooks, if Brooks steps up and can, can kind of carry that role, I, I agree with you. I don't trust him in run defense, but maybe Workman can, you know, kind of develop. Maybe Kari Coleman shines as a freshman and, and gets playing time uh, along with Ellison to move him over there, but that's going to be uh, the weak point. Also, uh, this was five minutes ago and you said this, but I do want to point out, I have said if Brandon Bowen is healthy, that'll be a good thing for the last five years. And yeah. to see my baby boy listed at number two on the defensive tackle chart, oh, my God, I've never been happier. Could he play? Wasn't he an end at one point? He's big. I don't know if he could actually play. He's, He's two seventy three now. I wrote about him in, in two thousand sixteen when he was recruited. He could dunk over the goalpost, and that's the only thing I remember. Um, I or it might have been twenty fifteen. I'm. It was twenty fifteen. You know, I'm so glad he's back. Um, okay. I, I will Parker, say, that, well, we could, before we, sorry, uh, I've done this like four times. Sorry. Uh, before we move on, I will say my candidate for fan favorite garbage time defender of the year is Isaiah Filikatonga. He is six two three fifteen. That is, that is butterball yes. status, man. I love it. I'm a huge get, fan. Hit this man in the game immediately. <laughs> that is like, oh we're, up, my God. we're up 20 and he gets a sack and I'm screaming my ass off. Yeah. Big fan. Yes. Oh God. Yeah. Good. Good spot. Yeah. Three fifteen, six two, and a sophomore too. So he spent a year in the program. It's still at that weight. That's that's great. Yeah. Um, that's not baby okay. fat three fifteen. Yeah. <laughs> no, that is that's that's hard three fifteen. That is a big man. Um, okay, we could spend all day talking about how much we love this defensive backfield, and we will talk about them all throughout the season. But they're the guys you know. Um, no surprises there. Parker, do you want to talk about the Cyclones? I do want to talk about the Cyclones. Um, I, I really think this is an interesting matchup this week. So, so TCU misses their first game against SMU and ultimately is, is, is hosting Iowa State this weekend in a fanless game. Iowa State is yeah. currently uh, 37th in SP+. They're 51st on offense, 28th on defense. Uh, TCU, for the record, is 33rd in SP+. They're 54th on offense and 23rd on defense. And it's worth a, a detour just for a minute. Those are projections based on um, last year's performance, returning production, opponent adjustments. Uh, and so Iowa State has just like a very little of this year factored in. But these are largely just preseason projection matchups. TCU with a slight edge there. And SP Plus's prediction has them winning uh, by about three uh, at a 50%, 57% win probability. Um, so, so an interesting matchup this weekend, for sure. For sure. And, and so I wrote about this in my schemes and storylines column. Um, and I also talked a lot, a lot about Max Duggan and, and the quarterback situation there. But um, I, I watched the Iowa State game against Louisiana, uh, I guess, two weeks ago now when they lost to the Raging Cane. Woof. Um, yeah, woof. Um, by the way, Parker, I, can you name the only Louisiana Raging Cajun quarterback to start a Super Bowl? Terry Bradshaw. It was Louisiana Tech. Oh, my gosh. Oh, uh, I'm no. going to get killed. Louisiana, the state of Louisiana. Yeah. He's going to murder me. We have to cut that. <laughs> Please, our neighbors to the east do not march on Fort Worth. No, it is uh, Jake DeLone of the Carolina Panthers. Weird. Jake, yeah, that was the athlete trivia question during the game. Uh, ah. So there you go. Jake, daylight come and we all go home. But in, in that game, so Iowa State runs a 3-3-5 defense, and, and they've consulted with Brent Venables of Clemson on how to run it. It's been their kind of bread and butter over the last few years. The one thing I noticed in that game, and we'll just launch right into the preview here, is that they did not handle – they handled their third downs very strangely. And that if it was third and long, say third and eight, third and ten, those three linebackers 
would basically just stand at the first down marker and say, okay, we're going to tackle you when you get here. And Louisiana, when they did move the ball, and, and there were several drives when they didn't, but when they did find success, they were doing it by throwing underneath and letting the receivers or the running backs get ahead of steam towards those linebackers at the first down mark. And, you know, when you're kind of standing still and you have a receiver running at you, those Louisiana players were able to squeeze by and get that extra half yard needed. And they didn't really adjust for much of the game. Uh, a lot of the receivers ran deep routes, and you had those guys under. Um, so the safeties were drawn away. Then it was just kind of one-on-one -on -one with the linebacker. And Iowa State has good linebackers, Mike Rhodes, or my advanced guys like that. But I was very confused by some of their defensive adjustments there. And I think it's something that if TCU uses those receivers, as we talked about, to exploit that, there's possibility for, for some chain-moving drives. You watched a lot of last year's game, correct? And, and did you notice any of this, or what did you kind of see about, about scheme? Yeah, so I think that's salient on, on two levels, two dimensions. One, because, um, man, it is really hard to uh, play the no doubles defense when uh, yep. the, the, the defense involves not just like a baseball, but involves like a, you know, 200-pound person running full head of steam. It's harder to sit back on right, the heels. Right, right. Um, so yeah, I think, that, I think that's important. I think the other thing you said that was really, really stood out to me in the Louisiana game was kind of the lack of adjustments. Just Iowa yep. State in the second half was like, oh, let's just do what we're doing harder. Um, mm -hmm. And so that was, that was troublesome just from a standpoint of I don't think they did a great job of adjusting. I watched last year's game. It was not good. It was worse than I remembered, Grant. No. Can, I, can I just read off? I don't <laughs> want to spoil too much of what I wrote, but can I just read off some, a list? I think this is 10 plays. Sure, sure. Second and seven, Brock Purdy pass complete to Deshante Jones for 26. First and 15, Brock Purdy run for 44 yards. First and 10, Brock Purdy pass complete to Deshante Jones for 31 yards. First and 10, Brock Purdy pass complete to Charlie Kolar for 25 yards. That was a touchdown. First and 10, Brock Purdy pass complete to Deshante Jones for 17 yards. Are you sensing a pattern yet? First and 10, Johnny Lang run 23 yards. First and 10, Brock Purdy pass to complete to Tariq Milton for 30 yards. First and 10, Brock Purdy run for 20 yards. First and 10, Brock Purdy pass complete to Johnny Lang for 23 yards. Second and two, Brock Purdy pass complete to Landon Akers for 32 yards. That's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 plays of over 23 yards on first down, Grant. All in one game last year. Is that bad? That is not great. <laughs> Um, and so I really focused on kind of what I, my, my, my pet stat this year is really just looking at like early down yards per play, because that's more or less like, mm -hmm. all right, the field's open. There's not an obvious tendency. Some people like to split into passing and, and rushing downs, but I'm thinking, you know, first and second down, you're, you're taking shots. What are your yards per play and explosiveness on big plays in early downs was like, why, Iowa State won the game 100% last year. TCU has this weird feature of kind of stopping and dampening your efficiency. So you're not successful often, but they're extremely prone to, 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 to really big plays when you are successful. Yep. Yep. It's the opposite of a bend, but don't break defense. It is a, it's not going to bend, but every now and then, if you, you know, if you try hard enough, you may break us. Um, one thing I did notice in that game, Parker, at, at least from the, the, horrifying list of plays that you read off is that Brock Purdy 
had a great game last year against TCU. He had several great games against teams last year. We, we differ on Purdy. I wasn't high on him coming in. And against Louisiana, he looked like – he didn't look good. I was going to say a bad word there, but I'll censor myself for, for any kids listening. He was 16 of 35 for 145 yards and one interception. That's bad. He was That's very not good bad. At all. And, and he, it got to the point, Parker, where it, it, it looked like he didn't know what a safety was. Like if Iowa State ran deep balls down the field, the Louisiana safeties were coming over and breaking them up and bombarding in, and Purdy never adjusted. Now, part of that may be due to the fact that he didn't have Kolar, who's been kind of a safety blanket and really is a matchup nightmare. Um, he's injured. He's day-to-day with a lower body injury, so I don't know if he'll play this week. I've been trying to check every day, and I haven't seen any confirmation on that or not, but Purdy looked completely out of sorts against a G5 defense. I mean, Louisiana is you know, a, a solid G5 team, but they're not the TCU secondary. Yeah, so Purdy completed only 45% of his passes. He had a QBR of 29, which was like the lowest in his career by a solid 10 or 15 points. Um, yeah. Louisiana's defense in 2019, Grant, was 66th. And so I'm inclined to like disbelieve opponent adjustments a little bit. So I kind of like downward weight the, the G5 generally. And so like 66th is outside of the power five, right? That's outside of your one to 65 yep. ranking. And they played in the Sun Belts. Like this is not a good defense. And what they no. did was they just said, hey, you can run all you want, but you are not going to pass on us. And it worked. I, I remember, uh, I think I texted you about the sequence of downs in the fourth quarter that was just absolutely baffling. Um, because it, it, it was just like the receivers weren't getting open. Purdy was still throwing it to a terrible situation. And just over and yeah. over again, Iowa State refused to adapt. And what they did was just say, oh, if we just do this harder, it'll be better. Um, and so right. they got outscored 21 nothing in the second half. Uh, for the record, yeah, in that game, which is not good. Yeah, not good. I, I guess Statner kickoff returns are pretty random events, right? I mean, Louisiana scored in the second quarter on a kickoff return and in the second half on a punt return. So, if you watch those two touchdowns out, who knows? They still would have won the game. Um, well, yeah, right, I would state on a per play basis got outgained. Throw away the special teams, yeah. tack it up to off season performance, whatever. That they still got outgained on a per play yeah. basis. Well, and you mentioned something too that, that I also noticed, which is that you kind of that hapless series of plays, receivers weren't getting open. They weren't getting open all game. And, and, you know, again, not to impugn the Raging Cajun defense, but TCU has really, really good defensive backs. So if these receivers aren't running routes that will get them open against Louisiana, Lord knows if they can ever get open against TCU. And when Purdy was making the, those throws that safeties were, were batting away, it's not like the receiver was wide open and the safeties were preventing a touchdown. I mean, this, you know, the cornerback was right on his hip and the safety just came over and made the play. So if these receivers aren't getting separation, then, I, yeah, maybe they can run. I mean, I think they average five yards a carry against Louisiana. But if that's it, then, you know, it's – I am not high on the Cyclones. wasn't high coming in. Uh, through, through one week, I am correct. You can tweet me and tell me congratulations and thank you for being right. Um, but, Parker, why, why should we be worried about Iowa State outside of what Purdy did to TCU last year? Okay, so I think that Iowa State runs something that I'm calling the vanilla spread. 
Um, yes. It is just the most basic of spread offenses and not basic in the sense of it's, it's uninspired or unimaginative, but it is just, Hey, we're going to run a zone read. We're going to run uh, some, we're going to run a couple of tight end uh, kind of seam routes and we're going to spread you out. And then we're going to, you know, vertically attack. And so I'm worried about Iowa state because if, uh, if, if Brock Purdy has kind of this entire, if, if he has time to pass, he's going to be able to make plays, let alone scramble. Yep. And so I think that's a, yep. that's when TCU's defensive ends aren't elite, the four two five is susceptible to a mobile quarterback because they can stay in the pocket. Um, they can have time to pass or they can bail kind of on the backside. So mm-hmm. I think that I'm worried specifically about Purdy on his feet. Uh, Purdy had like 115 yards, I think, against TCU last year. Coming into that game, he was averaging three yards a carry. Um, and the defensive, the defensive pressure just was not there. So I think the defensive yep. pressure is going to be a huge uh, part for TCU, mm-hmm. but I, I'm worried that it may not be there. The other thing that I'm worried about is the safeties are really, really good. The cornerbacks, Noah Daniels, I think is underrated just because he wasn't around last year. And Noah Daniels is a very good yep. quarterback and there's depth and experience at the other side as well. And so I'm not as worried about like covering the wide receivers. I think Tariq Melton is a, a good athlete who if he's the only guy, he'll get covered really easily. I think Hutchison for Iowa State is, is a good downfield threat, but I'm not sure that they're just, they're just not connecting well with him, at least looking at the Louisiana game. I want to see what D. Winters does against Charlie Kolar, and there'll, there'll be a safety on that as well. But Charlie Kolar, is, yep. is, he was out for the Louisiana game. He is 100% going to be their top weapon. And so kind of how he works the tight end – like. I don't need to go down the list of Big 12 tight ends that have eviscerated right. TCU. I don't, I, we don't need to go down that memory lane. But I'm just saying, it, it's possible. And so I think that'll be kind of a, a thing that's worrisome is Charlie Kolar is the best tight end of the country, maybe. He's definitely the best tight end yep. in the Big 12. And so yep. what TCU's defense can do that is a – it's not a flaw, but it's potentially problematic is they can cover the secondary really, really well and cover the outside threats in the wide receiver and then lose to those secondary threats. So I'm, I'm mostly worried about Iowa state with those secondary threats. I agree. Um, I will point out that Iowa state did lose their top two receivers from last year, not named Charlie Kolar, uh, Deshante Jones and the Michael Petaway. Um, and Tariq Milton had 35 catches. No one else, uh, excuse me. Uh, yeah, no other receiver had more than 20. Um, Kolar had 51. So it, it really is a Kolar-driven offense, and I agree with you. Um, is there anything on the defensive end for Iowa State that gives you pause? I, I know I just said Rose and, and Vance didn't necessarily have their best games against Louisiana, but um, it's not like TCU found a way to circumvent the three-three-five last year. Uh, Marcel Spears was a really good linebacker for, for Iowa State. He graduated. Uh, so I, I – I, I, uh, unless we redo our scheme, it may just be, hey, we, we don't really have an offense that solves the three three five. Okay, so my first key matchup for this was TCU's quarterbacks versus the route tree, because um, I think that <laughs> oh, matters. Um, and so we'll see. We'll see what they do. I think. I think you sent me a tweet earlier today that was a quote from uh, JD Spielman about like, hey, we're doing a ton of weird stuff with the with the route tree, and so yeah. that's interesting. Um, it, 
I, I mean, I think TCU scored against Iowa State last year when they stopped committing to their normative when, – when they stopped adhering strictly to their normative commitments and started, uh, for lack of a better word, letting it fly. Um, and and mm-hmm. playing desperate, I think, is the best thing that TCU's offense can do because realistically, TCU's offense is better when it's desperate. Um, and so – I agree. On the defensive side of things, the the one player – so my, my third matchup was Tavalence Hunt versus Anthony Johnson. Uh, evidently, I'm a moron mm-hmm. because that is null and void given the uh, depth chart that we have. But the one that I'm really interested in is how I, Andrew Coker and Austin Myers uh, mess, mm-hmm. mess with, disrupt, deflect – uh, Jaquan Bailey. Jaquan Bailey is a little bit of a guy, very similar yeah. to Noah Daniels, was out for most of 2018 or 2019, had a really productive 2018, was on a ward watch list, is like a mm-hmm. very good defensive end. And uh, I'm very worried about TCU's ability to contain him or scheme around him. I imagine he'll be the read guy and a lot of like read options, but especially in mm-hmm. pass protection, uh, containing Bailey will be the difference between Max Duggan or Matt Downing continuing to run for his life uh, mm-hmm. versus the TCU offense being able to thrive. And so I'm very, very intrigued as to what Bailey will do and how Coker and Myers can kind of stop Bailey. I think the secondary is good. Greg uh, Eisworth, I think is his name is a safety who is all conference yep. last year um, and, and a talented safety uh, but I, I, I do really think, and, and you know, Jan- Johnson's a good cornerback, but I really think the balance is going to be on what TCU's offensive line can do. I've said this before and I'll say it again, but after Lucas Nyang went out against Texas, TCU's offensive line just went absolutely to hell. And I don't think we can overstate mm-hmm. how disruptive to the offense that was. Uh, Max Duggan getting hit 23 times a game as opposed to 11 over those last six games. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. Um, and, and on that note, Parker, unless you have anything else, I think it's time to kind of talk about what our, our best-case scenarios and our worst-case scenarios for this, be, for this game will be. Um, I imagine there's a wide range, considering this is the first game of the year, and there are so many variables uh, at stake here. But I'll throw it to you, Parker. First and foremost, give me your worst case, and then let's end on a positive note and give me your best-case scenario. Yeah, so my worst-case scenario is uh, Iowa State learned a lot from their Louisiana game, and mm-hmm. they, uh, with Kolar back, they're able to attack uh, kind of the middle of the field and really, really spread out TCU's offense, and then TCU makes this big adjustment, and then Purdy just runs rampant. Um, yep. And so if the defensive end play is not there, if uh, – if the you know pass rush really isn't there and Purdy's kind of able to cook, I could see this getting out of hand like it was last year. Um, and so I think the worst case scenario is a repeat of last year where an inexperienced TCU offense struggles, Iowa State scores a couple touchdowns and kind of puts it away early, and then we're just you know sorting out the details for the last three quarters of the game right. of a TCU loss. Okay, okay, I, I agree with that, and I will flip it from the the, the TCU offensive perspective. My worst case is, is, like you said, Purdy kind of runs loose and, and we don't contain him. But I, I think the worst case scenario is that TCU doesn't try anything new on offense. So whether that's with Duggan at quarterback, obviously you kind of have probably more some freelance ability to do new things. And maybe with Downing, you're trying to keep it basic. But if we're keeping it basic, 
Iowa State will figure that out. I mean, Louisiana's offense was interesting. It was kind of at a pistol set most of the time, and, and, and they, they did some, some cool things. If TCU runs the vanilla version of the Horn Frog offense and we don't see any new wrinkles – um, we, you know, with the new guys on staff that we brought in, uh, I, I don't think TCU is going to be able to find ways to find the end zone. And I think it's we're just going to have to see some form of innovation uh, that will, if not, you know, crack a three through five wide open like it's some big vault, but just score against it and move the ball, then, uh, you know, it's, it's going to get out of hand ugly, um, as you said. But Parker, let's, let, let's be positive. Best case scenario, what do you think? Okay, best case scenario, this game is like the first two games that TCU and Iowa State played under Matt Campbell. Defensive struggle, uh, 14-7, you know, 17-14. And I think that uh, ultimately the best case scenario is that um, <laughs> Doug Meacham is freaking back and that he is the, the balm that we have needed. Um, so I think that looks like TCU running – mesh and stick over and over yeah. again. I think that looks like middle of the field for pro Wells. Um, I think mm-hmm. best case scenario is a big pro Wells game. And then shoot, we can argue about it on Twitter, but the, the running backs get, you know, 40 carries and 150 yards after TCU's up 21 to six or whatever, you know, I, I TCU throws in its cruise control. So I think the best case scenario is TCU says we are running the air raid. We have good running backs. As soon as you adjust to the air raid, we're going to run it on you and we're going to punish you. But if they are a passing offense first and they are a short middle of the field option uh, kind of offense, I think that'll be really, really good. Um, I, I, I also think that if we see one diamond formation, uh, that'll be best case scenario. If TC runs the diamond formation one time in this game, we will know Doug Meacham is back. His fingerprint is on this offense and he is, he's ready to recreate some of the old magic. And so that would be TCU winning like 17 to 10, 13 to 10 sort of a deal. You heard it here first. Best case scenario, establish the run. Um, We, I, I I would say that my best case scenario is that as you said, the the defense wins this game. Um, Patterson always likes to talk about how he just wants to win by one. I'd be comfortable winning by three. Um, but, it, but I agree, it'll be a defensive struggle. Um, we're kind of in lockstep here. I, I tweeted this um, earlier this, this, this week, but I, I can't imagine watching the, the Louisiana game and thinking about, okay, if this was our Darius Washington coming over the top, how many interceptions would he have had? Or if this was Trevon Merritt coming over the top, how many picks would he have had? And I, I think TCU shutting down the vertical passing game, if they try to go to their receivers, will be key. And I think if they do that and prove that, hey, if you throw deep on us, we're going to pick it off, then we can focus in on Charlie Kolar if he plays and shut that offense down. And like you said, on the offensive end, it's, hey, man, I, I, honestly, as long as there's something new, I don't care what it is. As long as we score – if we score three touchdowns, I, I have a good feeling about this game because it means that the defense is doing its job and I should say, if we score three touchdowns before, like, we're panicking and it's the fourth quarter and we're down by, by 20, then that's really not going to help. But if it's 21 to 14 or 21 to 10, that is the best case scenario for this game. Yeah, steal, stealing so, an ugly win here is going to be optimal just because, you know, you start thinking about win totals and bowl eligibility and potentially Iowa State at their most vulnerable 
uh, given mm-hmm. that they have historically started slow and kind of ramped up over the season. And if you could steal this right here, man, that, that really, really changes the especially, especially after all the crap that happened in the offseason. Yes. With, you know, some, some NFL draft analysts just crapping on, our, on the TCU offense. Um, you know, having to, to cancel the SMU game or postpone the SMU game, whatever, because of COVID. Your starting quarterback has a heart issue that he has to get surgery for. If you win your first game coming out of that, I mean, golly, that is a great, great sign. And I know momentum doesn't exist, but if it did, that would certainly give TCU some momentum. Oh, if, okay. if TCU wins, I'm prepared to let my expectations run <laughs> wild. I, yeah, just I wild. texted you. I texted you TCU by 30 and I, t- <laughs> I had I still talked into that probably about the end of Monday, but for now let's, let's, let's tamper our expectations a bit. I, Iowa state, I think if you want to have a vested interest in this game is a five and a half point favorite last time I saw, but Parker, what is your official score prediction? 13, 10 TCU. Um, I think that I love it. Uh, that that is probably like the best defensive game against Brock Purdy. I, I just can't imagine him um, doing as poorly as he did last week, but I can imagine, you know, a game that is 10 drives each as opposed to 12 or 14 drives each, just because uh, mm-hmm. it is a little slower. It is a little more defensive. And uh, I think ultimately um, – it wouldn't surprise me if TCU's only score is on special teams and then they kick two field goals and they win 13-7 in one of the ugliest games uh, at, that we have seen. I'm, t- I'm talking – I don't want to invoke this, uh, but, like, I'm talking cheese at level of ugly. Um, I, oh, I, I think it will be just amazing chaos, and TCU knows how to come out on top in the kind of those chaotic games. Okay, I like that. I, I... – I will say 17-14 TCU. And I'm going to say that in the most pessimistic way possible, and that I don't even think we're going to get chaos, man. I think it's going to be the most boring 17-14 game you've ever seen. And yet TCU comes up with a win. I think we score um, off a turnover that puts us in the goal line, puts us in the red zone, and then we find a way to punch it in. Uh, and then maybe we get one special team touchdown or you know, a running back breaks loose and scores. But – I think 17-14 TCU, and you're not going to remember a single thing from this game other than that TCU won. And I am totally fine with that, Parker. Uh, I, if we can put a win, a checkbox in the win column this week, hey, that's that, that's good for me. By the way, I, I'm curious, and I'm sure we did not write this down. When we were doing our preseason previews, did either of us pick TCU to win this game? I think I wrote it down somewhere, I but I have like 19 notebooks. I think I said no, yeah. and you and Matt said yes. We'll have to get him to – he probably remembers. He's okay. got a mind like a steel trap. So we'll have to okay. get Matt to check us on that. But I think I said no, and you two said yes. Okay. We're going to wind up, like, over the course of the season, making TCU in, like, an 8-1 and one team. Well, like, like legitimately – no, I think we said – because last year we did that, and we both had TCU at, like, 10 wins, and we're like, oh, shoot, we got to go back yeah. and write this down. And so this year we, we wrote it down. Um, yeah, I don't think that I – I think I had this as a loss. Okay. Um, I had it as a win. I, I have, Louis, Well, one, the timing of the game changed, so the position, yep. the schedule changed. And then, two, the, Iowa State played Louisiana and looked real bad. So It looked real, real bad. Um, okay, Parker, before we go, is there anything else you want to add? 
No, it's good to talk about football, man. Like I've appreciated yes. so much of the guests that we have and, and just kind of this great backlog of like general football content that we've gotten this off season. But man, I was getting dangerously close to feeling like I was a journalist, Grant. I was, we were interviewing people and man, it is good to just get on here and talk about football and speculate wildly and look at some numbers. So uh, I'm, I'm happy about that for sure. Me too. Me too. And uh, this also gives us the opportunity to plug our own stuff because during the football season, the Purple Theory content machine rolls on. You will have your podcast uh, in your your podcast app, Apple, whatever, uh, whichever podcast app you choose every Thursday. You will have our midweek musings. That's Parker's advanced statistical preview and my schemes and storylines every Wednesday. On Friday, we'll have the round table. Me, Parker, a couple of our friends will sit down, talk shop, uh, give some a few more predictions for the game and, and kind of break down any news that may have happened. Um, Parker, we will have our recap podcast. Remind me, when? Uh, Sunday evening that'll go out. So Sunday Monday morning, evening. driving to work, you'll be able to hear our thoughts about the game. Yep. Um, and, then, and then we're doing this real time and I'm okay with it, but Monday morning you'll also have kind of the recap newsletter. Yep, yep. So for the price of buying me and Parker a beer, uh, you can enjoy all of this fantastic content. And you can do that by going to purpletheory.substack.com and signing up. Don't forget to follow Parker on Twitter, uh, who is just racking up famous followers left and right at Stats of War. Uh, my name is Grant McGalliard. You can follow me on Twitter at Grant McGalliard. It's spelled exactly like it sounds. And for now, uh, go Frogs, and we will see you on Sunday. Go Frogs. Go Frogs.